Hebrews chapter 11, and we'll begin reading in verse 23. The Bible says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents, because they saw he was a proper child, and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Verse 27 is the text verse this morning. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. The subject this morning is seeing the invisible. Heavenly Father, we pray as we approach this time that you would take some simple thoughts from your word this morning and that you would speak to our hearts, that you would encourage us, that you would bless us, that all of us today would hear from you, including me. I pray you forgive me of my sin, fill me with the Holy Spirit, help for me to focus, and simply this morning, as best as I can, without agenda, without prejudice, say, thus saith the Lord, to look to the text and let that be the message this morning. Be with those who are not with us, who usually are. Be with our country during this difficult time. Lord, with those who don't have a job, with those who are sick, with those who are afraid, we pray that you would be with them and that people in our country and in our world would turn to your son for salvation. Please help me now as I give the message. Help everyone here to listen and to receive it. And may we receive a blessing from you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 11 is one of the most famous chapters in all of the Bible, and it covers one simple subject. It covers faith. Within this chapter, we find that faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. We are also told that without faith, it is impossible to please God. It is an ingredient that if we lack, God will not be pleased with us. It's not possible. Faith means to have complete trust or confidence in someone or something. When we say we have faith, we are speaking of the object of our faith, and the object of our faith is Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is the great chapter that talks about love and that there abides faith, hope, and charity, and the greatest of those is charity, which is biblical love. But it also says that faith is one of those greatest components, and though love is even greater than faith, if we lack faith and take it out of the equation, even if we have love, we cannot please God. We receive salvation by grace through faith. It's essential. The book of Romans tells us that whatever we do that is not of faith is done of sin. If we do it in doubt, it is sin. The verses that we just read speak of Moses. Moses led an amazing life. He led Israel out of Egypt. He came after God spoke to him in the burning bush and looked at Pharaoh and called him down and said, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, let my people go. He would not, and so God called in the plagues, and the plagues came down of the frogs and the lice and the firstborn dying and of darkness and all the different things that happened miraculously. Then Pharaoh let them go. Then one of the most famous miracles, God parted the Red Sea. And after Pharaoh changed his mind and came to kill Moses and all the Israelites, the sea parted in two and they passed over on dry ground. And as they got to the other side, Pharaoh and his men gave chase and came across. God turned the dry ground to mud again and then the water came down. 
He led them through the wilderness in despite of their doubts. He, he saw God pass by and God spoke to him directly and gave him the Ten Commandments. He led an amazing life. But this text points to one essential ingredient in his life, his faith. As it does of all these other characters, it doesn't matter if it's Old Testament or New. As we are told of Abraham, that Abraham believed God and he counted it to him for righteousness. We're told of Noah that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Salvation to people of any age or dispensation was through faith, through them believing God and through him giving them grace. As 1 Corinthians says that if Christ be not risen from the dead, then those which are perished in God before time are lost. They are perished. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, David, Abraham, Moses, none of them would have a place in heaven. They would be lost forever. Therefore, though they could not see it as clearly as we see it, they had to have faith to look forward to the Messiah to come as we look back. Habakkuk tells us the just shall live by his faith. That's repeated, I think, about three other times in the New Testament. The just shall live by his faith. Faith is not just something that we possess or that we have on our shelf or in our pocket. It's something that we live by. It is a weapon. It is a way of life. Faith is having complete trust or confidence in Jesus Christ that despite what we cannot see, we look to God and believe what he says anyway, even though we can't see it. That is faith. We have not believed, Peter said, in cunningly devised fables, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Thus, we have the record of Jesus Christ. And some may say, well, there's not evidence that Jesus existed or rose from the dead, to which I would say, have you ever heard of a calendar? It's split by BC, meaning before Christ and AD, Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. He literally divided history in half. And what we're doing is we're not hoping against hope or saying, I have faith in something I've never seen any evidence of, but faith is substance and evidence of the things we've hoped for. We have enough evidence, though we have not seen it with our own eyes, to say, I choose to believe God, even though I wasn't there. That's faith, and that pleases God. Hebrews eleven twenty seven says that Moses forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. This is faith. Uh, The title is Seeing the Invisible, but really, if we're going to see the invisible in our life, things we have not yet achieved or received, but we look and we dream and we trust that God will bring it to pass, we only do it by seeing Him who is invisible, by seeing God, by seeing Jesus Christ, and by saying, I choose to believe Him. This is faith and it pleases God. Number one, this morning we consider the faith of Moses' parents. Verse 23, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child. And listen to this. They were not afraid of the king's commandment. We'll look at Exodus chapter one and read just a few verses from there and then come back to Hebrews chapter 11. But God specifically points to the faith of Moses' parents before he points to the faith of Moses. And he talks about how they hid him for three months and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. Exodus chapter 1 and verse 15. And the king of Egypt spake to the Hebrew midwives, which the name of the one was Shipra and the name of the other was Pua. Verse 16. And he said, when ye do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women, 
and see them upon the stools. If it be a son, then ye shall kill him. But if a daughter, then she shall live. Throughout human history, we learn that it's a really bad idea, to, bad idea to give our freedoms over to one person because that one person, if they don't turn evil, the next person who comes can be evil. And they were afraid that the Jews were growing too fast and that one day they would overrun them there in their own country of Egypt. And so the solution was when a man-child was born that he would be put to death. Yesterday, one of the Benham brothers was arrested because the Planned Parenthood where they were killing babies was allowed to stay open, declared essential, but three of them on the sidewalk, six feet apart, offering counsel. I'm not sure how many, but some of them on the sidewalk standing six feet apart trying to counsel and help women and convince them not to kill their babies. They were arrested and taken to jail. What does it say they did, though, in verse 17? But the midwives feared God and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men's children alive. Thank God that these women had character. And it says the king is commanding us to do what is wicked and evil and against the, the word of God. And we choose to obey God. What is that? That is faith. They were not afraid. Verse 18, And the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said unto them, Why have ye done this thing, and have saved the men's children alive? And the midwife said unto Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are lively, and are delivered ere the midwives come in unto them. They said they're, they're, they're very high energy, and they're just popping the babies out and running away before we even know what's going on. Verse 20, Therefore God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and waxed very mighty. And it came to pass, because the midwives feared God, that he made them houses. And Pharaoh charged all his people, saying, Every son that is born ye shall cast into the river, and every daughter ye shall save alive. We won't read the next nine verses of the chapter, but it tells the story how like the midwives, Moses' parents had faith, and they were not going to turn their baby over, but rather they hid Moses, and they put him in the river, and it was found of Pharaoh's daughter, and God began this wonderful plan coming to fruition. And why was it able to happen? Why were the babies able to be saved? Why was Moses not drowned in a river instead of being a pillar of the Bible held up because of his faith? Because his parents had faith. Because the midwives had faith. And they said, we're not going to fear the wrath of the king. Notice that in Hebrews chapter 11, 23, it says they were not afraid. As Christians, God does not want us to live in fear. Fear is the opposite of faith. They cannot exist together. If we're going to say, I believe God and what he said, and then we know enough of what God said, we know enough to know we should not be afraid, and especially not be afraid of the king. It was the faith of Moses' parents. Teach your children to have faith, not to have fear. When the three Hebrew children were getting ready to be thrown into the flame, they said, we will not fear you. They said, our God will deliver us from this fiery furnace. And even if he doesn't, we still will not obey the wicked orders of the king. That's the faith that we're supposed to have. We're not supposed to be afraid. I do a good amount of listening to Dave Ramsey, a Christian financial advisor, has a lot of good things to say. And a woman called him one time and she said, she said, well, I've got my retirement account and I've been adding to it and it's growing and my job's doing good and I'm doing okay. But I've been working for so many years and then I just still have this gnawing feeling of like, I really want to achieve. And she said, when do I get to the place where I really know for sure that I'm okay? And he said, when you get to heaven. 
If we put our eyes constantly upon what we have and what our security is and how do I know for sure that nothing bad's going to happen to me, then we're going to be living by fear and not by faith. As Jason was mentioning, this time of the coronavirus is different than pretty much any of us have ever seen before. No matter how old you are, that for three weeks, the country has literally been pretty much shut down. And for weeks to come, the same will be happening. And people are suffering. People are afraid. I don't want to make light of what anyone is going through or people we know that is going through a health crisis that we know is very real. But all of us are going to die of something someday. Unless Jesus Christ comes and takes you in the rapture, you're not making it out alive. We're all headed for an appointment with death. And life is a vapor that appears for a little time and then it vanishes away. And it doesn't matter if you live to be 95 or 45 or 35. It doesn't matter. Life is still brief. It's still going by quickly. And God sometimes allows things that he desires to point us to the fact that we need Jesus Christ and that death is coming. People are afraid. There was a couple who had been watching so much of the news and the news said that there's a, a malaria drug that might be able to treat coronavirus. If you take it, if you're sick, this we don't know for sure, but it might help. And they found fish tank cleaner in their pantry that had one of the same ingredients but wasn't even the same kind. And they drank it even though they weren't sick. And the man died and the woman is in the hospital. Why do people do crazy things like that? Because people do crazy things when they're afraid. I fear for the, the fabric of our country. We lack God so much. And I already, I, I see it everywhere, whether it's at work or the radio or social media, people who are losing their jobs are afraid they're not going to be able to provide for themselves and their family. And they're angry over the restrictions being put in place. And then the people who know someone or has a family member who is sick or is dying, they're mad at other people for complaining. And the people who do have a job to go to are afraid of getting sick or else they want to get paid a full salary to go home and to not work. And everyone is upset. We may think that we have it all together. And in America, we're so mighty and powerful. But all it takes is one little virus and people getting sick and everything starts falling apart. Maybe God wants to remind us that we really need him. And our hope is not supposed to be in the things we can see, but rather in the invisible God that it takes faith for us to see. Pastor Kenny Baldwin in Virginia was one of our favorite preachers we heard at youth conference in Oklahoma City. He's 41 years old, look about six foot two, black guy, plays basketball, strong looking, high energy, preaches some of the best messages I've ever heard. He got coronavirus, went to the hospital for 10 days, lost 25 pounds, and two weeks later said he still barely felt half of his strength that he had before. Tony Buscelli, I think his name one was the offensive lineman for the Jaguars, only 47, big old strong guy. Of course, probably weighs about 300 pounds because of uh, a lot of the offensive linemen aren't very healthy once they stop playing football. But he said, I was strong. I never get sick. I'm not worried. He had coronavirus and he went to the hospital and they looked at his lungs and they said, well, we're going to move you to intensive care unit and we're going to try some things. We don't know if they'll work or not, but we're going to try them. His lungs were to the place where he needed those machines to be able to breathe and the oxygen and the ventilators and he recovered, but he had, he said he had to sit there and look at the possibility that at 47 years old, his life was about to be over because of the virus. And people are afraid. Listen, if you don't have Jesus Christ, 
you have good reason to be afraid. Why do we not fear? Why do we sorrow not as others which have no hope? Because we have the blessed hope. Because we have Jesus Christ. But if you do not have Christ, I believe the Bible teaches that deep within the heart of every man and woman that's born on this planet, they know there's a God who created things. They know instinctively that there's an eternity we're headed to. And if they don't have peace with God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit in their heart, they will be in some form or fashion at some point afraid. It's been said in days of world wars that there is no atheist in the foxhole, that there is no atheist when your little child is sick and might die. All of us in that moment, we know within our hearts there's a God that we need to turn to and to call. In one of Shakespeare's play, plays, a one of the characters said, Life is a tale told by an idiot, full of rage and fury signifying nothing. If we have not Jesus Christ, then what else is life besides that? Sure, we can try to make some money. We can try to have some fun and maybe even do good to other people. But if we don't know what eternity holds for us, and if there is no creator who set up the guidelines that we can come to and find mercy and grace, what meaning is there in life without Jesus Christ? We have Jesus. We have hope. Some people are getting sick and they're afraid of that. Economically, people are hurting a third of workers. We're going to go in a, t- in a time of a month from three and a half percent unemployment, which was a 50 year low to where perhaps a third of all American workers are not going to be able to work. I also know that some people would love to take a situation like this or some other one and use it to permanently instill socialism and to have their own agenda done and to take away freedoms and to give more power to the government. God ordained work. Work is good. And part of Adam's curse was that the ground would would be cursed and have thorns and all of these things. But God still tells us that work is something that he intends for us to do. And it's good. It's a requirement. If if a man will not work, then he shouldn't eat. If a man does not provide for his own, he's worse than an infidel and has denied the faith. And it's good for us. As much as we all think we'd love to not have to go to our jobs for money, a lot of people win the lottery and then they're lost. They become alcoholics. Their, their marriages break up and they spend all their money and waste it anyway. It doesn't have to be that way, but God has structured our life so that whether it's the job we're at or if we found good things to do, even if we didn't need to work, we need things to do that are productive with our time. And when we go and we work, it's a good thing. And especially when a man is then unable to go to work and provide for his family, it causes depression and it causes a horrible cloud to try and break through when we want to work. But that's taken away from us. May I remind all of us, I'm going to read these verses, Luke chapter 13, if you'd like to look there. God allows tragedies sometimes in order that all of us may be reminded that life is short and that all of us need Him. This is a time when people need God. This is a time when people have to have faith, whether it's afraid of getting sick or dying or of not being able to work to provide for your family in a time that is hard. We have to look to God. And some people will say, why did God allow this to happen? Why does God allow a hurricane or a tsunami? Luke chapter 13 and verse number four, Jesus says, or those 18 upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and slew them. Think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. 
at the, the tower at Siloam, they had a tragedy where it collapsed and fell and 18 people died. And Jesus said, do you look at that and think that happened because they were more wicked than you? That's what the, the friends of Job said. They said the only answer for why God would punish someone like this is because your sin is worse than ours. But God said it wasn't true then. And it wasn't true of this terrible tragedy where 18 people died. But what Jesus said was it supposed to serve as a reminder to all of you that unless ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. We're all going to die. We're all headed. It is appointed unto man once to die. And the statistics of how many people die every year from car accidents and from the flu and from tobacco and from all of these other things simply serve as a reminder that death is a surety. It's coming. God didn't put it in his word over and over again, remind us that we're all going to die and to make us discouraged or afraid, but rather to remind us that life is short and we're supposed to live for him and remember what really matters and above all ourselves and encourage other people to repent, turn to Jesus or you will all likewise perish. You know what the, the truth is? I don't know what will happen. I know our country all throughout our history, we hit a tough time and everything crashes and then we get back and it comes back. Even the stock market, people, it goes up and down like this, but over time it keeps going up and up. And my hope and prayer is that we, we do what we're supposed to do to, to limit the spread of sickness and then that we get back to work and that we climb our way out of it. But the truth is, I don't know what will happen and you don't either. And neither does the newscaster, and neither does Dr. Fauci, and neither does the president, neither does anybody. They're all just trying to do the best they can. They don't even know if it's going to rain tomorrow or not. God's the one that's in control, and he knows. The song, I love the verse, I know whom I have believed. The one verse says, I know not what of good or ill may be reserved for me of weary ways or golden days before his face I see. I don't know. My future may be like King David where God blesses and grows and we have abundance. Or it may be like Job where I suffer, where I have to go through things I never thought or where my life itself will be cut short. But I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. If we're going to have that kind of faith, we have to have faith to see the invisible. We have to see him who is invisible. I don't know about tomorrow, but I know who holds tomorrow and I know who is helping me and who is in control. Job said, in whom is the hand, the breath of all living beings. We receive our next heartbeat and our next breath we breathe from God and he's in control and he can bring us through the worst of circumstances and have us be okay or in the best of times he can choose to call us home early. If that's what he wants, we simply have to have faith. I don't know how many weeks I'll have left to live in my life, but last week I got to take my baby little girl to the park and we wiped it down with disinfectant first but then we put her in the swing and we pushed her for the first time and every time we pushed her she laughed and she smiled i got to take a few days off and and be with my wife and enjoy the sunshine and the beautiful weather and look around and sometimes when people go through lean times it's simply a reminder of what's really important you can take your family to the park and play a board game at the table and spend time with each other when we have some of the busyness cut out of life Love your family and seek the will of God and enjoy and appreciate what he's given you. For there's a lot of people who don't have what we get to enjoy. 
How do we look forward to the invisible future and see good things? By faith, we see Him who is invisible. When I was a teenager, a preacher preached from this verse, and he didn't exactly break it down the way that it's saying, but he said this is an application that as you look to see God in the invisible and you do it by faith, he said your parents and the people who love you and invest in you now as teenagers look to your future and they see that invisible person you could become and they do it by faith and believe that God can have great things for you and God can use you. How do we look to the future in a world that is dark and that is scary and for our children look and see wonderful things for them by seeing God? by seeing Him who is invisible, by seeing the One, as we sang this morning, we don't know what the future will hold for our children, but we know they can face uncertain days because Jesus Christ lives. The world says, how could you bring children into a world like this? God says children are a blessing. And just go ahead and trust by faith that if they're growing up under Hitler or if they're growing up in the best of times, God can provide for them. And God can use them. We trust God with our children's future because we trust God. What should we be trying to do? Pass your faith on to your children. Look at this. I love this. Verse 23, the end of it says of Moses' parents, they were not afraid of the king's commandment. Then look to verse 27. Speaking of Moses, by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. His parents weren't afraid of the king's commandment. And Moses, by the grace of God, was able to be brought to his place as an adult where he wasn't afraid of the king either. It was faith that was passed from his parents to his children. Our future, our dreams, your hopes for yourself or for your children, your grandchildren, your nieces, your nephews, whatever it may be, is by faith that we look to God that he's able to provide for them and to help them through whatever Moving quickly, secondly, we see faith of Moses through affliction. Verse 25, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Hebrews chapter 13, if you flip over just a chapter, we'll come back to chapter 11. But Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 12. Hebrews 13, 12. Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go therefore unto him without the camp. And then it says, bearing his reproach. A call to be a follower of Jesus is a call to bear the reproach of Jesus sometimes. All those who will live godly shall suffer persecution, the Bible says. It's a promise of God. At some point in your life, if you really want to count for Christ and really are going to live out your faith, you're going to be persecuted some. You're going to be afflicted. Jesus told his disciples, they hated me, so don't be surprised or afraid that they hate you. You see this world, they get angry and they talk about God and they blaspheme his name and then they get angry at Christians and they blame Christians for everything and they persecute them. And in other countries, they say your church is shut down. You're not allowed to go there, not because there's a virus, but just because we say so and we don't like your church and you can't preach the word of God. But ultimately, the world does not really have such a problem with Christians. They have a problem with Christ. Therefore, if we bear his name, we cannot be surprised we will bear some of that reproach. Last week, the New York Times ran a story saying basically the COVID-19 and the inadequate response to it in our country is the fault of evangelical Christians. 
That, that, that was news to me. That's, uh, that's what we like to call fake news. It's not true. The devil is a constant source of fake news, by the way. We're supposed to not listen to him. He came to, to God and said, Job doesn't fear you for not. He only does it because you've given him a lot of things. It wasn't true, was it? It was a lie. We're not supposed to listen to the devil. We're supposed to listen to God. God is in control and God has a plan. Let's flip to a few different verses here on this subject of affliction. First Peter chapter three. First Peter chapter three and verse number 14. But and if ye suffer for righteousness sake, happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. Verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that whereas they, they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. God watches his people and God sees when they are persecuted. Here it says, if we suffer for righteousness sake, we should be happy and we should be what? Be not afraid of their terror. And it says that we should live through persecution in such a way that people will see our hope and our positive outlook being lived out in our life that we wouldn't even have to tell them that they would ask us, why do you have so much hope? And that we may tell them it's because of Jesus Christ. And verse 16 speaks of God vindicating us that those of us who would speak evil of us without cause would be shown to be wrong. First John chapter 2. By the way, the reason that the term fake news resonates with a lot of people is because for years and years and years, the media has had their own agenda and they speak through it. And people know now more than ever, the media has an agenda. They're not just there objectively telling, and they probably do more to make people afraid and to spread things that aren't true than anybody does. I watch the news too, but what I want to do is read my Bible and look to God and not just take from one source and allow to be consumed in fear by what we hear. First John chapter 2 and verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. That's how we can have faith through affliction as Moses did, that we can suffer it and not be worried, but that we could look to God and know that this world we live in and all the lust and all the sin and all the temporary things will pass away. But he that doeth the will of God and receive Christ as his Savior shall abide forever in eternal life. One more before we move to the next point. Second Corinthians chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter four and verse 17. For our light affliction, by the way, don't forget that the affliction we go through is light because it could always be worse. And what's one of the reasons it's light? It says for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, it's not permanent. Nothing in your life is really that permanent. What we're worried about today, we won't be thinking about a few months from now or a few years from now. Life changes constantly. And our affliction 
only lasts for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. The world passes away in the lust thereof. The things we see are temporary, but the things that we have to have faith to see, the things which are not seen, we see the invisible by faith because we see Him who is invisible. And those two verses, it's in the context of enduring affliction that we have to look by faith and see the invisible. Moving on quickly here, faith that God's riches are greater. Faith that God's riches are greater. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 26 says of Moses, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect under the recompense of the reward. Many Bible commentaries will say Egypt Egypt is a picture of the world and how by faith we have to follow God and leave the world behind and go through the journey as they did. And here it says that Moses had enough faith that he looked at the treasures in Egypt when he could have chosen to be called Pharaoh's daughter and to have the palaces and all of those things, but rather he chose to suffer affliction with the people of God, verse 25 says, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Sin may bring some pleasure, but it's just a season. It comes and it goes, but the consequences stay. And he looked around him and said, I refuse to live in this situation when I believe God wants me to go suffer affliction with his people. Why? Because he had faith that the reproach of Christ was greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. David said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in tents of wickedness. He was saying, I'd rather just stand in the back and be a lowly doorkeeper at the house of God than to dwell in the tents where there's all the the uh, the partying and excess and all you could want and pleasure and sin and lots of money and plenty to eat and drink and all you want. He said, if it's a tent of wickedness, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God. That was faith. That was David saying by faith, I'd rather have a little and go through what is hard as Moses did go through affliction than to look to the world without God and to have a lot. Hebrews, uh, one of the key words of the entire book is better. It will say that Christ is a better sacrifice for our sin. The new covenant is better than the old covenant. And I'm here to say I believe by faith that God's way is better than my way and it's better than man's way. In Daniel 1.20, they looked upon the three Hebrew children and it says they saw that they were ten times better than those who kept the king's commandment. Jesus said to Peter, when Peter said, Lord, that rich uh, rich young ruler won't forsake his riches to follow you. We've forsaken all to follow you. What shall we have therefore? And Jesus said, Peter, no man hath forsaken houses or lands or family for my sake in the gospel, but that shall receive an hundredfold in this world and eternal life in the world to come. I'd say that's a pretty good deal. Whatever we complain about, I sacrifice this for God, we're not really sacrificing. We're getting the better end of the deal each and every time. I promise you it's a hundred times better in this life and we get eternal life to come. What is faith? It's having faith that God's way is better 
being saved is better than being lost. Faith was a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Hebrews 11.6 But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. We can be saved if we will have faith that calling upon God He will save us as He said He will, and His way is better. I just want to proclaim for myself this morning that when someone says different than what God says, I believe God. I believe that God's way is better than their way. Romans 3, 4, Paul says, But let God be true and every man a liar. Therefore, if someone says something and God says the opposite, then we're supposed to say it's a lie. I don't believe what they said. I believe God. Paul said in Galatians, if an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached, let him be accursed. And he even said, if we preach a different gospel unto you, he included himself. He said, if I ever stop preaching to you what I'm preaching to you now, let me be accursed. It's not about what I have to say. It's about what God has to say. When a scientist says there was a whole bunch of nothing except there was a whole bunch of dirt and then lightning hit the dirt and then it created this beautiful world that we see now billions of years later, I look to them and say, I don't believe that. I believe God. I believe in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. When the media says something different than what the Bible says, I don't believe them. I believe God. When A professor at a college says that the Bible can't be true and that the miracles within it couldn't be contained and that there is no right or wrong and we shouldn't worry about living however we want to live or killing babies or old people and all these things that they'll say in their modernistic, supposedly enlightened belief that is nothing more than repeating what's been around since the beginning of time. Yea, hath God said? I don't believe the college professor. I believe God. I don't believe the atheist. I believe what God says. I don't even believe that they truly, deep within their heart, 100% believe it. I believe they fought against the light God has given them and that the psalm says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Within their own heart, not even to others, they try to tell themselves, there's no God. He doesn't exist. I don't believe them. I believe God. I believe that God created the earth. I believe that He hung it upon nothing. I believe that God put our planet just the right amount of distance from the sun that if we got a little bit closer, we'd burn up. And if we got a little bit farther away, we'd freeze to death. I don't believe it happened by accident. I believe God created it because He said He did. When a politician says something different than what God says, I don't believe them. I believe God. Did you know that Al Gore, when he made his movie about global warming, said that by now the state of Florida was going to be underwater and be drowned because the sea levels were going to raise so high because global warming was coming for us all and the debate is over? I don't believe him. I believe God. I don't believe the people like AOC who say that in Bernie Sanders and different people who say 10 years from now, unless we radically change everything and give the government all the problem and outlaw cars and boats and planes and cows, unless we do all those things and people stop having kids 10 years from now, we're all going to be dead. I don't believe that. You know why? Because the Bible says that's not true. I don't care if it's a pastor. I don't care if it's a politician on either side. When someone says something different than what God says, I believe God. After the flood, God made a rainbow and he told uh, Noah, he said, I'm going to make a promise that I'll never flood the earth again. And he said, as long as the earth remaineth, 
summer, winter, springtime, and harvest, day and night shall not cease. That means as long as the earth is here, we're going to have four seasons. We're going to be okay. In the 70s, they said it's global cooling and we're all going to freeze to death. And then in the 2000s, they said it's global warming and we're all going to burn up. And now they said, well, it's just climate change. We don't know what it's going to do. So now we're right no matter what it does because we just said it's going to change. But trust us, give us all the power or else we're going to die. The Bible also says that there's going to be a seven-year period after the rapture. And then after those seven years, there's going to be a thousand literal years where Christ reigns from the throne before the earth is destroyed with fire. It's going to burn up, but we've got at least a thousand and seven years left before it comes. And throughout that time, God said, we're going to have four seasons, day and night, summer, winter, springtime and harvest. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say, I believe God. I don't believe people when they say something different from God. When I hear a Bible teacher who tries to explain the Bible to me and they say, well, in John 3.16, when God said world, he didn't mean world. And when he said whosoever, he didn't mean whosoever. And when he said shall call upon him, he didn't really mean they had to call upon him. It means God just picked some people to go to heaven and not the rest. And they don't have any choice in it. None of us do. I don't believe them. I believe God. They say, well, well, when you read where it says God desires everyone to be saved, all people to be saved. They say, well, that means all kinds of people. He just wants some of these kinds of people and some of these kinds of people. And he likes all of them. He just doesn't like all of them, all of them to get saved. He just likes a little bit of all different kinds. I don't believe them. I believe God. May we all this morning stand upon our feet and say it doesn't matter if the mountains are crumbling or the government's coming to drag us away or we're going to die for our faith or whatever happens. May we stand tall and say, I believe God. By faith. That's how we believe him. We trust what he said. Moses said, I have faith that God's riches are better. Two more thoughts and then we're done. Number four, Moses had faith that our reward is eternal. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. The end of verse 26. That means he believed in a reward that was not simply temporary, but was eternal. Verse 27, by faith he forsook Egypt. He forsook Egypt. He feared not the king. He had faith, so he endured. Paul told Timothy, therefore, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Don't always expect that it's going to be easy, but you can expect that God will always bring you through. Remember, our light affliction will bring about eternal glory. 1 Peter 5, 4, And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. There's different crowns in the Bible. It talks about us receiving it in 1 Peter 5. It, it, the first few verses, it talks about a special crown and reward for those who lead in the church. And then it says the, the crown of glory that they will appear, will receive, shall not fade away. Jesus said, if you take a cup of cold water and give it to a little child, if you do it in the name of Jesus, verily I say unto you, ye shall not lose your reward. It's not temporary, it's eternal. You can live for pleasure. You can ride the roller coaster. You can live for sin. You can live for whatever highs may come, but it's very temporary and it passes away. But what we do for God lasts forever. Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where the moths can eat it up, where the rust can corrupt it or the thieves can steal it. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven for you'll never, ever lose it there. It's eternal. And then lastly, number five, faith is the key to pleasing God and having victory. Very quickly, let's look at a few of these examples. Hebrews 11 and verse number four. 
there's one key ingredient in the lives of all of these Bible believers, and it was their faith. It was that they looked at what they could see, and they looked at what people said, and then they looked at what they God said, and even though they couldn't see it, they said, I believe God, and they endured to see Him who was invisible. Verse 4, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. Abel... Abel believed God. Cain said, I worked harder for the fruits of the ground than Abel did, so I'll just offer my good works. But Abel said, I believe God, so I'll just offer it the way he said. And it's the same way today. Some people say it can't be that easy to go to heaven. I'm going to earn my way there. But God does not have respect to that. God has respect when we believe him by faith and do what he says. Verse 5, by faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found. Because God had translated him for his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Elijah had a fiery chariot drop down from heaven and said, I think I'll just take you to heaven now. And likewise, Enoch Enoch walked with God and God translated him. He did not die, but as a picture of what will happen in the rapture, God said, just come on right now. He translated him to where he was taking him. He didn't allow him to die. And I love the phrase, he was not found. They went looking for him, but they didn't find him because God took him. How? Why did he please God? Why did he have the testimony? Because of his faith. Verse 7 speaks of Noah. Verse 8 speaks of Abraham. He went out not knowing whither he went. That's faith. Verse 9, by faith he sojourned in the land of promise. He didn't know where he was going. He told his wife and family, it's time for us to move and to go somewhere. Where are we going? I don't know. But they went. It was faith. He believed God, and God guided him. Verse 13, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims upon the earth. Verse 17 continues about Abraham. When he was tried, he offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. God said when it was impossible for them to have children, you'll have a child, and from them will spring your descendants more than the sand of the sea and the stars of heaven. And then God said, I want you to take that child who I promised would be the fulfillment of that promise and sacrifice him to me. Abraham was prepared to do it and started to. Why? Look at verse 19. Accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from whence he also received him in a figure. Abraham had so much faith. He said, I know God said the promise will be fulfilled in Isaac. I know God said that. So if God requires me to sacrifice him, then God's able to bring him back to life again from the dead. That's the God that we serve. When Jesus came, Lazarus had been dead and in the grave for four days. And they said, Lord, why did you wait? And Jesus said, believest thou that thy brother shall live again? And, and uh, the sister said, I know that he shall in the resurrection in the last day. Jesus said, I am the resurrection. I am the living manifestation in the flesh. I am the resurrection and the life. And he that cometh to God by me, I'm misquoting him, but what he says is shall never Die! Believest thou this? Do you believe that? If you do believe it, and I believe it, then we don't have to be afraid because we have Jesus Christ. Faith of Jacob and the faith of 
Joseph. He gave commandment in verse 22 concerning his bones. God had had said that this is the promised land and Joseph, when he died, wasn't in the promised land. He was in Egypt. And he said, I know because God promised that we would live in the promised land. Someday he'll deliver you from the Egyptians and you'll go back home again. And when you do, go to my grave and dig up my bones and take them with you. He had so much faith that God was going to do what he said that he left commandment for his bones to be carried back. And when God took them out of Egypt, they went and took his bones and they planted him in the land that God had promised. What is it over and over again that God points to? It is their faith. Verse 29, verse 28, by faith they were kept from being killed during the Passover. By faith, verse 29, they passed through the Red Sea. Verse 30, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down. By faith the harlot Rahab perished not. Verse 31, with them that believed not when she had received the, the spies with peace. A harlot who was living in sin, but who believed what God said and did it and dropped the scarlet uh, rope outside of her window, not only was spared, but is mentioned in the genealogies of Jesus Christ because we have a God of grace and mercy. And if we will have faith that he can forgive us of our sin and of our past, then he will do, throw, do so. The rest of the chapter points to the faith of Moses. Remember, Moses got to see God pass by. He couldn't see God face to face, but he endured to see him who was invisible. He did see him. And then there's another pretty good story in Matthew 17, 1 through 8, where Jesus took three of his disciples and they went up into the mountain and he said, come with me. And it was called the Mount of Transfiguration and Christ was transferred into his glorified body before them. And who showed up? Moses was there. Though he had already died, Moses was there on the mount looking at God, looking at Jesus in the flesh in his glorified state. By faith, he endured to see the invisible. I have one question for you this morning. One question that should be enough. One question that should be enough to get you over your fears. One question that should be enough for you to give the rest of your life to God and do what his word says. One question that even though it's it's scary and we're afraid and we will go through stress, one question that will have us have peace in our heart. Do you believe God? God said it. I believe it. And if I grasp it, that's going to be enough for me to endure and to by faith see him who is invisible and therefore see the good in all the situations of my life, even if it's not apparent at the moment. Let's be dismissed with a word of prayer. You can pray where you are this morning, and I know God will hear your prayers. Heavenly Father, please be with every prayer. Be with our country. Let people be saved and turn to you. Let people, please, God, in your mercy, have a job to provide for their family, for it's what you have ordained. Please, God, may we repent from our wickedness. May we turn from sins of the flesh and from abortions and from doubting you and from all of these things and look not to a president or a party or to a corporation, but look to God Almighty to have mercy on our souls saved that we would turn to you and repent of our apathy and ask that you would move within our hearts and the lost, that they would turn to you for salvation, the blood of Jesus Christ, the only way to be saved. Be with those who are not here with us today. Keep us safe. Help us love our families this week and love you and realize how rich we truly are. And by faith, may we endure to see the invisible within our life if we will see you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.